you very much. As I was preparing for the message today, I asked myself the question, what would you preach if you had only one shot at every student at Liberty University? You only had one shot, one thing to say, what would you say? And it goes back to the end of my freshman year at college. In June of 1951, I went to work at a camp in Asheville, North Carolina. I was hired for three weeks at $5 a week and given a bus trip there and a free bus trip back home. And the first week I ended up working, cleaning out cabins, cleaning out the mess hall, cleaning out bathrooms, and at about, oh, it must have been about 11 o'clock at night, all I had on was blue jeans, no shirt, no shoes. I had a hose and a mop, and I was mopping out the dining hall. And as I was sloshing around, I came to this post right in the middle of the dining hall. And the post said, God has a plan for your life. God has a plan for your life. Excuse me. Every person here, <coughs> God has a plan for your life. Every faculty, every staff, Every workman for you, Brother Spence, every one, of, every one of us, every camera person, what is God's plan for your life? God has a plan for your life. About 25 years ago, Bill Bright came, Campus Crusade, spoke here, and Dr. Falwell and I were entertaining him over in the dining room. The dining room used to be right up back of us, the smaller dining room, and he began to tell a story. He said, I don't tell this story very often. And he told how he wrote the four spiritual laws. He said, I was going through Oklahoma, an unsaved young businessman in my young 20s, and he was head of business, making sandwiches, selling them in truck stops. And he said, I picked up this young man. He was hitchhiking, and he said to me, God has a plan for your life. God loves you and has a plan for your life. I had never heard God loves me. I had never heard that he has a plan for my life. Oh. Do you know who that is? That's Jonathan, the pastor of Thomas Road Baptist Church. Every once in a while, well, when I miss Dr. Falwell, I'd say to myself, he's here. He's here in duplicate. His two sons are here. And they are not only doing what he did, they are doing everything their father did, and they're taking it to a high level. Thank you, gentlemen, for what God does through you. Coming back to my story, this hitchhiker said to Bill Bright, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And Bill said to Dr. Powell and me, he said, if he had told me I was a sinner, I knew that. I knew church. I had been in a presbytery. I knew that. But he said, God loves you and has a wonderful plan. And he looked at me and said, God is going to use you to reach the world. I thought, wow. To reach the world 
And through that day, he gave four spiritual laws, and later Bill Bright wrote them down. Then he asked Dr. Fall, he said, do you think that was an angel? He said, I've gone back. What he said was so magnificent. He said, I don't usually ask this question in public, but do you think it was an angel? And I said, I don't think so. Because there's a verse that says God is not going to let angels preach the gospel. He's going to give it to we who are humans to carry out the Great Commission. And Dr. Falwell said, I think it could have been. He said, because God would have used that person. And God, that could have been an angel. And Bill Bright said, I don't know. When we get to heaven, we'll find out. Every one of you needs to know that God loves you and has a special plan for your life. That night, I was mopping. And I stopped, put my head. It was about 11 o'clock at night. The two buddies with me had gone to bed, and I was griping. I was griping because I was not doing spiritual things like a counselor with a bunch of young boys. But I was cleaning, and I was left alone, and I was just kind of grousing, you know. And then I said this, and God, God has. God has a, God has a plan for your life. And I thought, God, is your plan or made of mop floors? And I thought, yes, somebody's got to do it, and God wants me to do it. God has a plan to prepare for camp. God has a plan to prepare for the mission field, to prepare for being a nurse or an educator or a pastor or business. Whatever God has for you, God has a plan. And God's calling to serve is God's calling to prepare. God has a plan for your life. Today, I would like to talk with you about well, some of you are going to miss God's plan. What happens if you miss God's plan? Uh, three or four things. If you miss God's plan, you will miss life more abundantly. To be in the center of God's plan. Jesus said, I come to give you life and to give you life more abundantly. The Bible says abundantly, but extreme could be a good word for today. Number two, you miss happiness. There is no greater happiness than to be in the very center of of God's plan for your life. And if you miss plan, you're going to miss all the things that you could do to serve God. You will miss his usefulness. God wants to use you to serve him. And I'm looking out today, and I see young people, and I've been here in the first year. I look at some young people, and I wonder, what in the world can God do with that uh, bozo or yay whatever? And just sometimes, the things that I choose to do a great job, I'm wrong. The Bible says, God doesn't look on the outward. Man looketh on the outward. God looks on the heart. And God is looking for young people today to serve him in an outstanding way. I have no idea what God wants for you, but God has a plan to use you. God has a plan for your life. Now, I'm just going to quickly go through the time I've got left seven ways how you can find God's plan. And what's the first way? The first way to find God's plan, you find God's plan in God's word. Now, you're not going to go to God's word and he's not going to tell you exactly what to do. The best man in my wedding, a uh, young guy of uh, Dickinson, and I remember when I first saw him, we were freshmen at Columbia Bible College, and he stood up. He was from Long Island, New York, 
came all the way down to Columbia, South Carolina, and he said, I was reading in my Bible, and as I read my Bible, I saw, I couldn't, I was praying, where should I go to school? He had some northern schools in mind, and he read this one statement, go south. And he said, God led me to come south to South Carolina. Now, I'm not sure that's the way that God leads and directs. But if God is calling you, you can find God's word in the scriptures. Let me tell you four things to look for. First of all, look for commands to obey. God's plan is that you live a godly life. God's plan is that you do the best what God has called you to do. Look for principles to apply to your life. Look for examples to follow. I'm going to be a Joseph. I am going to be sexually pure. I'm not going to give in to the boss's wife. I'm going to be sexually pure. And then look for actions to follow. Number two, you'll find God's plan in prayer. I want all of you to establish a prayer life. What a great privilege. Earlier this week, I spoke to prayer leaders, spiritual life leaders, and they tell me that they are praying every day for every student. Every student in this university, someone is praying for you. Don't make it hard for God to answer their prayer. You find God's plan in prayer. You ask God to lead you. You ask God to direct you. Oh, God, show me the plan. What should I be doing? Pray for directions. Pray for uh, the place of service. Play. My wife is sitting over here. And when she was five years old, she grew up in a Christian home, and about five years old, her mother started teaching her, pray every day for the man that you're going to marry. And it's interesting, long before I was saved, long before I came anywhere to know Christ, I was saved at 17, there was somebody praying about me and for me, and I would challenge you to do the same thing, pray about your mate. And again, you've heard me say, young people, when you're out on a date, if you can't pray with a girl or a guy, don't ever marry that person. Marry somebody you can pray about. And then as you pray, you'll be conformed into God's image. There's a story in American literature. It's old Stoneface up in one of the New England states. On the edge of a mountain, there was this stone that looked just like the profile of a man. And the Indians who left the valley left the the tradition that there's a man who's going to come to this valley. He's going to bring good to everyone in the valley. And a young boy believed that tradition. He would sit in his cabin, pre-Revolutionary War days, and look at that stone face. He said, I want to be the first to recognize him when he comes to this valley. And as a young boy, a man came into the valley selling healing oil, snake oil, whatever. And he saw them. He ran through the town telling everybody, old stone face is here. And the people went out and bought the snake oil, but it was no good. Another man came through town selling shears in a railroad. The railroad's coming. And uh, he went through the town. This man's going to make us all rich. He took their money, and nothing happened. He became disillusioned. He went off to college. They were having way back then, first great awakening. He came to know Jesus Christ. He was called to preach, and as a young man, God led him to go back home. And he said as he walked back into his hometown, this lady was hanging clothes on a line, and she stopped. 
He spoke to her. She didn't speak. She stared at him. Didn't know what was happening. He found a man. Uh, he was working in a shed. He spoke to him as he walked down, and the man stared at him. And he didn't know what was wrong with him. But what had happened is he had become old stone face. He was the man in the mountain in the image. And what's the, what's the point? The point is you become like that which you gaze upon. You become like that which you meditate. And so in prayer, you become like Christ. In prayer, you become like the person he wants you to be. The third way to find God's plan for your life. God directs us through yieldedness. If you want to find God's plan, say, Lord, here am I. I'll do your will. I was sitting in chapel about my freshman year. And this person was speaking in chapel. He said, young people, the thing you don't want to do, the thing you'd hate to do is the thing you ought to do. That's God's will for your life. And I was thinking, what would I not want to do? And I looked down. Now, our chapel had old slats or board pews. And therefore, uh, these slats, your bottom would hang out between the pews. And I looked down, and there was a girl who was really, really big. And I looked down, and I said, boy, I'd hate to, ma to marry her. And all of a sudden, this preacher said, the thing you don't want to do is the thing you want to do. I said, oh, no, God. Oh, no, God. Worst chapel I ever had. I'd say, that's not right, that's not right. That's not what he means. And then I look, oh no, you know. And so I even forced, I, said, I don't even look that way. I don't even want to think about it. And you know, for about two weeks, that thing bothered me. Every time I'd come by, is that what God wants me to do? To marry the one girl I don't, Ruth, her name was Fat Pat. Remember her? Okay, anyway. <laughs> oh, I'm in trouble now. About a week, two weeks later, this missionary, and I can still remember her first name, is the first name of my wife. Her name was Ruth. And she said, young people, I always grew up wanting to go to the mission field. And let me tell you, the thing you want to do most of all in life is the thing that God wants you to do. And I heard these two statements. The thing you don't want to do is what God wants you to do. The thing you wants to do is what God... I said, which one is right? And I came to the conclusion, it all has to do with your yieldedness. If you are unyielded to God, you are fighting him, you're saying no in your heart, the thing you don't want to do is probably what God wants to do. Not for sure, but probably what God wants to do. And if, if you want to serve God, if you really want to serve God... The thing you want to do is probably God's will for your life. The very first married couple at Liberty, David Rodenheiser, he walked into my office June the 2nd, 1971, and he stuttered, stuttered something terribly. And he began to tell me, I want to preach. I want to build a church. And I remember trying to counsel him, uh, David, you won't be a great preacher but you could be a bus worker. You could be a, an assistant pastor to make visits. You could be a youth pastor. God has called me to preach. More than anything else, he wanted to preach. And he stammered. Now, he wasn't healed just like that. 
But over a period of four years at Liberty, God healed him. A brother Worley, a leader at Thomas Road Baptist Church, took him and put him in a Sunday school class and let him teach part of the class. And he kept working at it till he could teach the whole class. Now, David had been to Virginia Tech, had taken all the scientific classes, and nothing helped him. And yet, he took him down to Elam home. That's our home for the alcoholics, and let him give his testimony. And he kept pushing himself to preach, and he built a church of about 1,400 people in greater Washington, D.C., Calvary Road Baptist Church. One of our very first church planners and one of our very strongest church planners, what he wanted to do, he was able to do. So God will work in your life through yieldedness. Number four, God works through your spiritual giftedness. What has God given you the ability to do? Whatever he's given you the ability to do, God can work through. When I was at Dallas Seminary, I had a church down in the, you would call it the slums of the city. Very, very poor people there. There was a young girl named Joanne Moody, and some days I'd stand up to preach, and I would be preaching, and I wasn't getting through. Now, all preachers understand that. Some days you just don't get a response. And I was smart enough, when I couldn't get through, I'd stop. I'd say, Joanne, I think you ought to come and sing such and such a song. It'd be a very simple song, More Love to the Old Christ. And she would come up and open the book, and they would play, and she would sing in a very simple way, a song. And when she would sing, I could see tears. I could feel the Spirit of God. And she had a spiritual giftedness of music and exhortation. And she went to South America to work among the Indians. And I never heard of her after that. But she would go out among the tribes. And she would start singing Christian hymns that she had interpreted. And she used her spiritual giftedness to reach people for Jesus Christ. What is your spiritual? Whatever you're gifted to do, God gave you that. That's probably what he wants you to do. I was in Winnipeg, and there was a young man who was a concert pianist, a German, and from West Germany, outstanding pianist. And he talked about going to the jungles. And I said, no, you shouldn't do that. He said, why? God's called, everybody ought to go to the jungles. I said, no, God has given you an ability. You've been a concert meister. You've been outstanding. You ought to, he's back in in Germany today, serving in that capacity. He didn't go to the mission field, and that leads me really to number five. God directs us through the counsel of family and friends. And so I gave some counsel to this young man, a concert pianist, don't go to the mission field, don't go back to the jungles and work on, on trucks. I said, you're gonna be building fences and building houses and getting your hands greasy, fixing engines, I said, these hands ought to be used for God. Use the talent you have for the glory of God. Counsel to friends. Listen to your friends. Find God's will. The very last point I want to make. People who are actively seeking God will find him. There's an old saying, if you know anything about sailing. I had a friend, we used to sail the Mississippi River in a canoe. And I learned one thing, the set of the sail determines the direction and the speed of the canoe. And we could go downwind, and we could turn right around and go upwind. 
the set of the sail determines the direction of the canoe. And the set of your sail, say today, I will not quit. I will become an A student. I will master Greek grammar. Whatever God has called you to do, you can do it. I, you can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth you. Would you bow with me in prayer? For this year, from this convocation only, would you determine to seek God? Why? God has a plan for your life. God has already a plan, like a blueprint for who? For your life. Find God's plan. Follow God's plan. Like a blueprint, build a house, build a life, build a ministry here at Liberty and go out and serve him. Father, I pray, help every student, every staff member, help every faculty, every administrative, every executive, Lord, help us all to find your plan for our life and do it. And everyone said, Amen.